turn our hearts to God's word. Um, reading Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 3, 10. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, let's pray. God, um, thank you for allowing us to gather and worship you together. Um, I ask that you uh, let us hear these words um, and give Rob the words that you want us to hear, um, that you may um, just penetrate our hearts and um, be with us this morning as we worship and learn from you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So those of you, um, yeah, those of you who are new with us, we just want to, to welcome you. Uh, so glad that you uh, chose to gather us here on this online platform. And um, yeah, just, just want to uh, extend a warm welcome to those who are new here. Um, if you haven't done so already, I encourage you to fill out uh, that uh, connect card so we can get pl you plugged into uh, real gospel-centered, Jesus-centered community here at Renaissance Church. I'm so thankful for this, uh, this passage um, that we have read here today because God's been using it to work on my soul and my heart. And I, I just want you for a, a moment here. Um, I almost am curious how many high schoolers or junior hires we have tuning in on here. Um, maybe I can see you with a raise of a hand um, on my other screen over here. But I want you to imagine me. 
uh, me as an angsty senior in high school, 18 years old. Uh, my hair was just past shoulder length, uh, big old scruff uh, on my face, uh, flannel shirts and ripped up jeans. And some of you might be thinking, what, what else has changed besides the, the hair? And you might be right. Uh, but at, at that time, when I was in high school, um, I loved listening to this band called A Perfect Circle. And in one of their songs, Three Libras, their, their lead uh, vocalist, Maynard James Keenan, he's a brilliant poet, brilliant vocalist. He gets into his upper register and he sings this line that resonated with my soul. It said, you don't, you don't, you don't see me. You don't see me at all. And that was my experience as a 18 year old high schooler. And for some of you, that might be your experience right now. So you've maybe felt this before. Does, does anybody see me, know me, or understand me? And you might even be wondering, does God see me? Well, the story we just heard read would have brought similar thoughts to the mind of the Israelites. You have to remember, they're hearing this story, they're receiving this story 40 years after the Exodus. They have been standing on the banks of the Jordan, waiting to enter the Promised Land, possibly wondering, does God see us? Does God understand what we've been going through? We've been strangers and sojourners in the wilderness for 40 years years, and we're waiting for him to fulfill his promise. Will he ever take us into that spacious land with all of the amenities? And so what Moses does is he shares this story to remind the Israelites that God sees them on the banks of the Jordan, just like he saw them when they were enslaved to their pain in Egypt. You see, the God who saw their pain is the same God who fulfills his promises. And that's not just good news for the Israelites, it's good news for us. That the God who sees our pain right here, right now, is the same God who fulfills all of his promises to us. You know what that means for us? That we can cry out to him in prayer. The same God who sees your pain is the same God who fulfills his promises. So we can pray to him. And we're going to see that in two phases today. The first phase is that God sees us. And the second phase is that God speaks to us. And all this is my hope and prayer that we would be aware that God sees us in our pain and that he speaks to us with his promises. Now, first point, God sees us. Moses, in this passage, is 80 years old, which means that it's been 40 years, 40 years since he's fled Pharaoh, 40 more years of slavery for the Israelites. As Moses is tending the sheep in Midian, Pharaoh, the guy who wanted to kill him, died. But it wasn't until this new Pharaoh came into power did the Israelites begin to groan because of their slavery. Now, it's, it's interesting, don't, don't you think, that no prayers or cries were, 
recorded prior to this Pharaoh. No cries for help, no prayers uttered. I mean, maybe, just maybe, they thought that a change in political power would bring them justice then. Maybe they thought if we just get the right ruler into office, then all of our problems will be fixed. But this new Pharaoh, as we'll discover, is no better than the former Pharaoh. In fact, he is the embodiment of evil, as we'll see later on in the story. On the other hand, there's God. Look what we read in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2. God, God listened to their groanings, Moses writes. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw what was going on with Israel, and God understood. Israel had a fourfold response to their slavery. They groaned, they cried, and then they cried, and then they groaned. And here's God, who meets them with a fourfold response. God hears. God remembers. God understands. And God sees. If you've ever wondered, does anyone hear me? Yes, God does. If you ever wondered, does anyone remember my plight and my pain? Yes, God does. If you ever wondered, does anybody understand? Yes, God does. If you ever questioned, does anyone see me? Yes. God does. And notice, God doesn't respond to them based on their prayers. He sees them, hears them, and knows them based on his promises. He doesn't respond to us based on our prayers. He responds to us based on his covenant promise. He remembers. Do you see that? He remembers his covenant with Abraham. Now, does, does remembering imply that he forgot? Not, not in the least. Remembering doesn't always have to equate with forgetting. I mean, we, we use the word remembering often. We use it when we say, I, I'm remembering you on your birthday, or a husband remembering his wife on their anniversary. Remembering in the Hebrew here is idiomatic for putting a plan into practice or a promise into practice. And God has acted on his promise from Genesis 15. If you flip back there to Genesis 15, verses 13 through 14, tells of this commitment, this covenant. He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. And here's the big portion. But I will bring judgment on the nation, read Egypt there, the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possession. God is putting into action his promise. God is committed to carrying out his promises before Israel ever prayed to him. Meaning, God is committed to carrying out his promises in our life before we ever prayed to him. God's keeping of his promises is never predicated upon, is never conditioned upon our work or our actions. God's keeping of his promises is based solely on his character. He is the promise keeper. 
and God was available for their needs before they were ever aware of their needs. Meaning God is available even before you're aware that you need him because it's his character. Ligon Duncan, he writes this about this scene. He says, the cries of God's people don't make him to be a loving God. The predicament of God's people don't make him to be a loving God. The grief of God's people don't make him to be a loving God. He already was. He was just waiting around for his people to recognize that they needed it. He was already at work for them. And his work was based not on them, not on their worthiness, not on their cries, not on their grief, but on his promise and commitment. You see, in Christ Jesus, God is committed to respond to us before we ever respond to him. In Christ, God is committed to fulfill all of his plans and all of his promises before we ever pray to him. And what I love about our God is that our God is not stoic, nor is he avoidant of messy emotional souls like you and I and like these Israelites. He doesn't desire theological, tidy prayers. All he longs for is to see your need. All you need is neediness. He longs for you to see it. And God promises to meet all of your needs according to his plan and his promises that he never breaks, but he always keeps. All Israel needed to do was see their need. What does God do in response? He lets them know that he already sees them. And he already sees us, me and you. But then second point, he just doesn't see us. He then speaks to us. Do you notice here that Israel's prayers and their groans are heard immediately? And then God acted upon them in an instant, immediately. But he acted upon them in ways that they couldn't see immediately. God doesn't appear first to the Israelites to answer their prayer. Do you see that? No, he first appears to a nobody, an 80-year-old washed-up hired shepherd whose flock wasn't his own, but his father-in-law's. He appears to Moses to answer their prayers. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 recounts the story. In Acts 7, verses 30 to 32, Stephen is preaching. He says, now when the 40 years have passed, an angel appeared to him, appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame, in a fire, in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Now, here are some things that we cannot miss about this scene. God has come down to his people. And you say, but, but it's an angel. Oh, but it's no ordinary angel. This is the angel of the Lord. Most angels 
are strictly spiritual messengers. They're just carrying out acts and words on behalf of God. But this angel that we're reading in verse 2 of chapter 3 is the angel of Yahweh, the Lord. And it's completely different, completely other than all other angels. Because every time you interact with this angel on the pages of Scripture, you're left wondering, is that the angel of Yahweh? Or is that Yahweh? Hagar experienced this. Abraham experienced this. David eventually experienced this. So does Elijah. And if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that if you see God, you will die. Because no one can stand in his presence and live. He is holy. We are not. But yet in this story, Moses is standing on holy ground, God tells him. And yet the bush, nor Moses, is consumed. God has come in a form of fire. It's the same form that he came to Abraham, the same form he will lead his people out of slavery into the promised land by, by fire by night. And it's going to be the same form he will take up residing in the temple. Why does he take up this form? So that we are consumed by his full presence. This is an image of Yahweh. Don't think wings. Angels don't have wings. That's cherubim and seraphim. Think human-like figure. And in this story, he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, but also Lord. In the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And also God, Elohim. And the angel of the Lord refers to himself as the Lord and God. The same one in verses 2 through 9 who's saying, I'm the one who hears, knows, sees, and remembers his covenant. And even Moses calls him Lord. What's the best way to understand this? Well, Tim Mackey, a theologian uh, in the Pacific Northwest, he writes this, the angel of the Lord is Yahweh and distinct from Yahweh. Don't miss the big picture here. God did not remain silent when his people cried out to him. God doesn't stay up on his high throne ignoring their need. God has come down to speak into their need. God not only sees, but he speaks. You see, in all of this spectacle, we cannot miss this. God is not a deistic God. See, deism teaches that God creates everything, and then he leaves us poor human creatures to flounder and fend and figure everything out on our own. But the God of the Bible isn't like that. God isn't silent in our pain, but he speaks into our pain. God is not absent from our pain, but he takes action to come meet us in our pain. And he meets with Moses on the very mountain he will bring his people to when he gives them the law. Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And now he sends Moses, verse 10, to rescue them. God doesn't remain silent. Our God is a God who speaks. God doesn't remain absent. He's a God who comes down and puts his promise plan into action. But most of us live 
I live, you live. We live as if God has not come down. We live as if God doesn't know us, see us, or hear us. And do you know what reveals this? Our prayer life. Or we might say our lack of prayer. See, I think if we believe that God sees us, knows us, and understands us, and even speaks to us, we would never stop talking to him through prayer. See, I believe that if, if we believe that God wants to answer our prayers according to his promises, we would continually cry out to him day and night. So I want to know, what do your prayers sound like? Or maybe a deeper question. What's caused you to stop praying to God? Why don't we cry out to him? I think we, we like the Hebrews, we're enslaved. We're enslaved to this idea that we can meet our own needs or that other humans can fulfill our needs and that we don't really need God. He's up there. We'll handle everything down here. Maybe that's why you don't pray to him. Or maybe you don't pray to him because you're embarrassed that all you do is come to him with your needs. And so you stopped praying. Or maybe that's the reason you haven't come to him in a long time because you can't remember the last time you cried out to God for your needs. Listen to me. If this story tells us anything at all, God doesn't hear your prayers based on the amount you pray, the good you have done, or the bad you have done. God hears your prayers because it's his character to listen to those he loves. If the story tells us anything, God is ready and willing to hear from you. You want to know why? Because God already knows you. God already sees what's going on. He already understands, and he just wants to hear from his children whom he loves. And he's able to hear from us because he has remembered the new covenant that was purchased with Christ's blood, that we're able to go boldly to the throne with any request because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. There's this well-known story, maybe you've heard it before, about a widow who experienced this grave injustice. She had a deep need. She needed a wrong to be righted. But her only hope in, in the town where she lived was an unjust judge. And so in her persistence, she went day and night knocking on the judge's door. Give me justice. Right my wrong. And day after day she goes, but this judge doesn't answer. So what does she do? She doesn't give up. And finally, this, this judge, this evil judge says, but listen, I don't fear God. I don't give a rip about the people or my constituents. I'm giving her justice so she stops annoying me and so that I can get back to sleep. And Jesus says, hear me, your God is nothing like this judge. At the moment you cry out to him, 
He's not stopping up his ears. At the moment you cry out to him, he's never annoyed with you. At the moment you cry out to him, he's not taking a pillow and placing it over his ears so he doesn't have to listen to you. No, at the moment you pray to him, at the moment you cry out to him, at the moment you even groan with a groan that's not even audible, but it's within your souls, God gets busy by immediately answering your prayers according to his promises. And many of you are discouraged right now because you can't see the way God has immediately been answering your prayers. But let me encourage you that at the moment Israel groaned and cried, God went into action in ways that they could not see. He started carrying out the answer to their prayers through a man they had not met yet. God is answering your prayers through others you might not have even met yet. Listen, I could have made this entire sermon on five ways of how to pray. I could have given you all the best models, the best mantras. And is how we pray important? Absolutely. But I'm convinced that even though we know how, we won't unless we know who we are praying to. If we're praying to a God who doesn't hear, know, or understand us, why would we pray to him? But this passage shows us who we are praying to. He sees you in your trouble, and he speaks to you in your trouble. See, God here, we can't miss it. God is both the subject of this passage, and he's the object of our prayers. And don't you see, God has come down so that we can come to him. God has not ignored us, even though Israel and we at times have ignored him. God God sees your need. God understood even your greatest need and pain before you were ever aware of it. You see that angsty 18-year-old senior in high school, as I was listening to that song and I would sing that song, that nobody knows me. That nobody sees me, my peers, my parents, and my teachers. I was enslaved to what other people could do for me and think about me. And then I met Jesus, who not only saw me and knew me and understood me, but he came down for me to love me because in my sin, And in all of my idols, I could not come to God on my own. He came to meet me even before I wanted to meet him. You see, in Jesus Christ, we do not have an angel of the Lord who took a human form. No, we have the word of God made flesh. The Apostle John tells us that Jesus is the word of God, and he was God, and he was with God in the beginning. He is distinct from God, he was with God, and he is God. And Jesus put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God, Yahweh, become human to rescue me, to rescue 
you from the slavery of our own sin. And what do we see Jesus doing while he's here on earth? He is crying out to his Abba, to his Father in heaven, on behalf of people who won't even cry out to God. He's crying out to those who are sick, who are captive, and who are lonely. But we also see Jesus crying out in the depths of a pain that he never wanted us to experience. See, Jesus took on the greatest source of pain so that we wouldn't have to. The pain of being separated and not known by the Father on the cross. See, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the one hand, one of Jesus' prayers was answered, no. He prayed, if it's possible, take this cup of wrath away from her. If there's another way that you can reconcile these sinners to yourself, Lord, do it. And the answer to that prayer was no. But then Jesus prayed, not my will, your will, your plan, your promises be done. And God's promise and plan was to crush Jesus on that cross in the pain of God's wrath so that we can experience not the pain from God, but the promise that one day we will be united with God without any pain, without any suffering. That is the promise for us who are in Christ Jesus, because when we put our trust in the fact that Jesus bore the punishment and the pain for our sin, we're forgiven. And not just forgiven, we are known, we are understood, and we are loved. And it's because of Jesus's prayer, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do, that we stand here underneath the promise that we will always be forgiven, not based on our work, but the work of Jesus. And if God has heard our greatest cry, forgive me, a sinner in need, and he's answered that prayer with, yes, I will forgive you and I'll love you even in spite of your sins. I'll remember your sins no more. How much more then, if he answers the prayer of our greatest need, how much more should we cry out to him in our everyday pain? See, in Christ, we have the promise that we have full access to the Father. In our pain, you could be reminded that Jesus promises to always pray for you, even when you forget to pray. Look what we read from the epistle of Hebrews. The author says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. He's talking about Jesus. Let us therefore, since that's our great high priest, since Jesus is there interceding for us, he knows what it's like to be human and tempted and tried in the pains of this life. He says, let us approach God's throne of grace with fear, oh no, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, God wants to speak to you because he sees you in your pain. He sees you in your need, and he's ready to pour out grace upon you because he's available. He's available once you're made aware of your need. He's available to give you grace right here and right now, and all you have to do is cry out to him. And when we know this, we also know that in our pain, 
God doesn't leave us alone. But when we confess Christ as Lord, he sends his promised Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we're not destroyed by his presence, but we are filled with his presence so that we might remember that through the new covenant, that even in all of our problems and all of our pain, we're still children of God and nothing can separate us from that love. And even in your pain, there's the promise that God is already answering your prayers. Even the prayers that are just groans, the spirit makes sense of those prayers to God. He's answering them in ways that you cannot see yet. And even more, that in your pain, when you cry out to God in your prayer, he promises that one day when he returns, there's going to be no more pain. And he's not going to just bring us into a land full of amenities. He's going to bring the new heavens down to earth. Will there be no more weeping, no more pain? and no more sorrow. This is the promise of the God who sees us in our pain. And so church, let's keep crying out to him and praying to him, knowing that he's going to fulfill all of his promises and plan through our prayers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being a God who hears us.